Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news, along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Police Pod Talk. I'm your host, Cleveland, and thank you for joining us. Today, I am thrilled to have a old friend of mine from the uh, police department. Uh, we worked together for several years. We did a lot of laughing together. Uh, we raided a lot of houses together back on the uh, EST team, which is a SWAT team to a lot of people. Uh, today, I've got a friend of mine by the name of Matt. I'm not going to give you his last name because... Uh, he said there's a warrant out for his arrest somewhere in Chicago. I don't know what that's all about. But Matt, say hey to the people out there. Let them know you're there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And thanks for listening to the program and listening to what we have to talk about today. It's important. There you go. Yeah, Matt Matt and I go way back. Um, he was on the police department for 25 years, uh, practicing law enforcement, doing a lot of different jobs. And I think he ended his career coming out of the uh, detective bureau. And uh, our paths crossed a lot of times. And uh, Matt, do you remember you and I meeting uh, for the first time? It was during a uh, festival for the fireworks. Three Rivers Festival. We're standing down at the corner of Main Street and Clinton at one point. (laughs) Watching the fireworks, right? (laughs) Watching the fireworks and enjoying our jobs and, and, you know, just just enjoying life yeah that was yeah but but matt has seen a lot has done a lot and um uh, matt like i said he was 25 years right uh kind of run us through that when you you got on with your patrolman what are some of the things you did leading up to your retirement i uh, actually started out as a reserve officer uh for a couple of years i had a a different job that was a pretty decent job and i was interested in policing but uh even then there were times that you know, policing had some aspects to it that, um, you know, I had to think about, you know, alcoholism is high, divorce, so forth and so on. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go in the reserves, see if I like it, see if it's something I'm willing to fully transition to. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it, found I liked it, tested, got on the department. And the first 10 years, I was in the uh, uniform division as a patrol officer. Mm -hmm. And uh, during that time as a patrol officer, uh, you had to have three years on. I was interested in being a crisis negotiator. So once I had enough uh, years on, I got on the crisis negotiation team and did that for a little bit. And uh, that's when I was young and full of strength and vigor and an opportunity uh, presented itself to join the, the uh, emergency services team, SWAT team. So I, I transitioned from the negotiation team, the SWAT team and did that for uh, five or seven years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then from there, I, uh, transitioned up into the investigative division and I was there for 15 years. And in the investigative division, I, uh, uh worked at, uh, becoming better at, at interviewing and interrogation and things of that nature, got back onto the, uh, negotiation team, uh, got certified as a uh, computer voice stress analyst to help other investigators with their uh, cases, trying to determine truth or deception, if you will. Right. 
And uh, then as I got more experience, tried to become sort of an informal mentor for new investigators that came up. Because when I went up there, it was just like, you're detective, go detect. And there wasn't a whole lot of... <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't that come from a movie? <laughs> go detect. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's probably where they got it from when they told me that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so I, I tried to get to a position that those people who wanted to try and do a good job, I tried to help, you know, initiate them into uh, what it what it means or takes to be a good investigator and mm -hmm. so forth. And then toward the end of my uh, uh, time in the detective bureau, I went over into the uh, – crime scene area and was a crime tech for uh, uh, a number of months and then a new career opportunity presented itself and so I uh, retired from the Fort Wayne Police Department with 25 years on and then started a, a new uh, career track uh, mm -hmm. outside of the Fort Wayne Police Department. Right. So during your time on the Fort Wayne Police Department, can you honestly say you had a good time? Oh, absolutely. There, there were moments that uh, uh, I look back at things that had happened. And it's like this is why I became a police officer, right. and it was it was fantastic. Right. You know, there were and and a lot of times revolved around being a negotiator or mm -hmm. being on the SWAT team or working in coordination with the two, right. where we saved lives. And it was like this is incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, that may be strange that I asked that question, and I, I bet some of our listeners are going, well, he stayed for 25 years. He probably had a good time. There, You and I both know there was a lot of policemen who stayed for a long time and hated every minute of it. Yeah, a toxic personality, and that's part of the reason you and I connected up because we could give each other a break from some of the, the stress and the anger the frustration, whatever, you know, we kind of laugh and get in perspective, get a little breather, you know, and then oh, the coach yeah. puts us back in the game <laughs> exactly. and we're ready to play again. Right. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, some of these other people, you just have to stay away from that toxic personality because they don't discriminate. They're happy to take anybody down with them that will allow them into their lives. <laughs> right. Right. And that's probably what you were seeing when you first had to decide, hey, this this is a high you know alcoholism and divorce rate uh, uh, job is probably what you saw, not knowing it, right? Yeah, you know, and I had to think, do do I have the resources at home and away, and can I find people like Cleveland and others that I can work around? you know, those issues and, and come to terms with them. Because at the time, it's like, you got to do this on your own because there's really no set, you know, they've got an employee assistance program, but nobody trusts them. I mean, it's I'm, I'm not bad-mouthing ESP, EAP, but it's uh, uh, kind of a last resort that most, you know, oh, I'm admitting I'm weak, so I'm not going to go. Right. And they might tell somebody, and I don't want people to know that I went to the employee assistance program. Right, right. Now, Getting to that end, you were offered a great opportunity that uh, when, when I heard you were leaving the police department, it kind of surprised me. But then when you told me what you were getting to go do, it all fell into place. Throughout your career, you were kind of building to this new opportunity that came along and you're, you are doing what you really love to do, what you were called to do. You have a passion to do. Let our listeners know what happened. What did you get this opportunity to do and what are you doing right now? 
Now, if you're specifically, are you talking about critical incident well, yeah, stress man, management? I'm not talking about that other job that I can't win, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay. You know, let, uh, let, me, let me back up a little bit. Okay. Here's how I actually got involved with it. Uh, you know, there was a time when I was uh, on the emergency services team, and we had uh, a situation that was, uh, I don't want to put this, I was a negotiator at that point. Uh, we had a situation that someone forced the team uh, to take that person's life. At least that's how I'll, I'll describe it at this point. Okay. And the aftermath of it, I watched some of the people that were involved in it deal with it just fine. And I watched others that were starting to kind of slowly um, devolve downward and have problems with it. And there, there really wasn't anything in place to help them with it. So, you know, I, whatever, over the few years, try to do a little things myself, this, that, and the other. And then in, uh, 2007, I found out about the Northeast Indiana critical incident stress management team. And it's, uh, uh, recognized the, the program they use. It's recognized around the country. They use the Mitchell model, uh, he is a PhD de- that developed this debriefing method that uses mental health people and peers from police, fire, medics, and dispatch to be with affected first responders that have experienced some kind of a, a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And we kind of walk them through the process, what they did, what they heard and smelled, saw, and then how to deal with it afterwards. So I got uh, an interview with the team, got on it. I've been on the team since 2007 to today. I've been involved with this team. So this team does what? Um, We cover a seven-county area in kind of northeast Indiana, and we're available through uh, the Three Three Rivers Ambulance Authority. There's a number you can call, reach out to them. They activate. Uh, a pager or uh, they will contact whoever is on call and then we will set up uh, uh, coordinating with whatever agency is requesting our assistance a debriefing and so as an example we might have uh, some type of a, a fatal crash where there were children or babies in the car and they died and the uh, firefighters and the medics had to recover those bodies from the car crash or you know they they uh, had a fatal fire and they had to recover the bodies from the fatal fire and uh you know it's it could be a a small volunteer fire department medics and so forth or it could be a major metropolitan so we'll get together with them uh and the directly affected people it's not open to the public and it's a very small personal private sort of meeting we get set up in a circle of chairs with the peers interspersed and then we have a this Mitchell model we go through this program and everybody kind of introduces themselves and what they did at the time of the incident as far as what their role was and then the next round we go through is what's sticking with you what did you see what did you hear whatever that you're you know mm-hmm. are you having problems sleeping right you know and discuss it and then after we kind of run through that and let people get these things out that they've been holding then we go through 
like as a peer, when I've had something similar, what did I do to help me get back to what we kind of call a new normal, which mm-hmm. I think we're all sort of tired of hearing that phrase now as we go through the pandemic, but, right. you know, this new experience. Okay. So while they're going through this, this just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it probably takes two, three, four, five different uh, meetings with them, right? Uh, we just do one meeting. The meeting goes about 45 minutes to an hour, and it actually is, is very efficient and very effective. And a lot of times, I like to use the phrase jigsaw puzzle when we're getting the meeting set up and we're kind of setting guidelines for what we're going to cover and do. Um, you know, some people are overwhelmed and they're uh, maybe not ready to talk about it, but we will encourage people to talk. And I always say, this is like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you might have a little bit you might have a little bit looking at someone else and you might have a little bit, but you don't know what the overall picture was. So by everybody kind of talking, it helps bring the bigger picture together for understanding. Uh, You know, there are times that someone's thinking, oh, that person must have really suffered and I'm having trouble sleeping because uh, whoever died, you know, they must have really suffered. And then someone that was there, no, they, it, it wasn't like that at all. And so it kind of clears some some misconception or concerns up for people but it's also good to to encourage communication because a newer person an experienced person whichever could be sitting in the room going man i'm having crazy thoughts right now i am having crazy thoughts and so when other people talk about it they suddenly realize you know what other people are experiencing the same thing i'm feeling they understand what i'm feeling and maybe i'm just reacting normally to to something that is an abnormal situation although in our profession uh you know we see and do things that civilians will never see or understand right right now and this is all voluntary it's not forced on anyone correct uh we try to encourage it that way we've had some where um they've they've had a commanding person kind of make it mandatory and in some ways that's not such a bad thing if it's done in the right way, because some people, especially crusty old veterans, they may be feeling something, but you know, they're under the old school. I can't look weak. I can't. So by the commander kind of making a mandatory for someone, you know, that crusty old person can complain loudly and this is nonsense and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. When internally, they really, you know, if they would, if they would admit it, they might be actually willing to do this. Right. You know, it's just that they've got to save face, if you will. I'm doing air quotations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then they can go to this. And actually, sometimes it's helpful for younger people to listen to the older veterans because they've, you know, they've seen it so much that mm-hmm. it, it helps them understand what what they're seeing is going to continue on through their career. Right. Now you're helping uh, firefighters, medics, and police officers, right? Dispatchers as well. Dispatchers are the Uh. forgotten group because they're the ones sometimes that are staying on the phone with Mm -hmm. someone who's dying alive in a house fire or they're in a failed car crash and they're trying to communicate with them and stay with them. Or, you know, if there's a police officer or a firefighter injured, they're the ones that are trying to dispatch people while they're listening to the officer put out their distress call and so forth. Hmm. So we include them in it as well because they've just uh, in the past traditionally been kind of forgotten about. And we've gotten a huge positive response because we do that. Well, good, good. Now, are you only in the uh, Fort Wayne area? Uh, We cover a a seven-county region 
that uh, goes back up into parts of it's northeastern Indiana, but it's it's parts okay. of uh, Lagrange and Whitley County, and you know, definitely a bunch of different areas. So you're getting up close to uh, Michigan and over by Ohio, then. Correct. Okay. Have you ever been asked to come to another state? Uh, no, and and we would not. Um, there there is the possibility. Uh, there's an international organization uh, that even does certification. Like our group is certified through the international organization, and they will if if there's a major situation like Oklahoma City, the bombing that happened there uh, down in Dallas, Texas, a couple of years ago, when so many Dallas police officers were killed by the sniper you know they will try and organize a cohesive coherent team Mm -hmm. and they always strongly request that people do not self-deploy you know just don't go on your own you know that they're trying to coordinate it uh so we've had members of our team get pulled into a bigger thing the group itself were kind of insured and covered through various entities for just indiana Mm -hmm. now do you uh, have a continuing uh, education? Do you go get training? Yes, we try and uh, train internally as best we can, but we also, uh, it, it's actually through the convenience of webinars. You know, there's a lot of nice training and so forth that is put out there. I uh, just did uh, something. I don't really want to give the organization uh, online uh, credit here, but there was somebody that had a, a uh, national program going on and it's uh, for law enforcement peer support therapeutic legal legal considerations and mm-hmm. so there's things like that available that we try and stay up to date on and try and stay as current as we can so you're not really there just to hear the story as much as you're there to make them not say make them allow them to talk and get some feelings out and understanding on what they are feeling correct um, the feelings and the emotions are going to come out one way or another. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people can try and stifle them as long as they can, but then that's when you see alcoholism, that's when you see risky behavior, mm-hmm. that's when you see drug abuse, uh, that's when you see um, sometimes that, you know, back in the day we used to call it tombstone courage, you know, where an officer is taking dangerous risks because they just don't care. Right. And, you know, this is kind of my phrase. Uh, but it, it's kind of a passive suicide that they're committing, hmm. you know, with this behavior that they do. So it's better to try and, when it's fresh in everybody's mind, get this out, talk about it, see that other people are feeling the same way that you are, that you're not going to be ridiculed or thought you're weak or incapable of doing your job. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're being a human being and you're seeing terrible things. Now, do you have individuals come back and say, hey, can we, can we talk even more? Yes. Um, we, and that's part of the reason that we've got a mental health counselor that kind of runs our debriefing, and they're somewhat available. And then if someone is really, really having a problem, they can reach out to us, specifically the mental health person, or they could reach out to me and I would get in touch with the mental health person. But then we would find or encourage or help them get additional counseling for more follow-up if it's really something going on because sometimes what happens is they might be dealing just fine with what's in front of them but five ten years ago two years ago whatever they had something similar or something that they've got unresolved 
feelings and stress about and this situation has brought it back and they're like i'm really good with this but i'm dreaming about this now because i never dealt with it okay i got you and and so it is an opportunity again to to talk about it because they couldn't talk about it back then and if they need more we'll get them connected up with that and it's been nice i've debriefed with several agencies over and over again they're very good about calling us because they know the value of you know it's a cheap investment 45 minutes to an hour to get your people together to run through this and it's not like it's a magical cure but it's a huge inroad into recovering or improving or just uh, understanding it you know that's a cheap investment and uh, i've been to different debriefings where people were in other ones and they've come up to me afterwards and said i really appreciate what you guys did for us I actually went and got counseling for myself and it's improved my marriage and my life Mm -hmm. and it made a huge difference because of it. And so, you know, that's a nice, that's one of those where you walk away going, this is why I became a police officer or this is why I got involved in this program. You have seen and heard a lot over the years of just even law enforcement and even now doing what you're doing. You've taken a lot of people's stories. You've helped a lot of people. Who helps you? One of the things that is uh, beneficial about the team is after we go through a a debrief and and we're finished with it, you know, we'll hang around for a little bit if anybody has questions for us. But, you know, interestingly enough, the real healing starts after the meeting breaks up and everybody has talked openly. uh, So then they get into their groups and then they're debriefing themselves, which is really where the bonding happens and the improvement happens. So then we'll... uh, slowly work our way out of uh, wherever the meeting is at and we'll meet out in the parking lot or something and we'll check on each other you know you doing okay you all right things good you all right and and uh, uh you know so if, if someone if something's sticking with someone you know what they heard or saw or if it's brand you know we'll we'll kind of debrief our own team members then hmm. okay and here's the other thing i know i've known you a long time i know your wife great supporter for you do you take some of this home and bounce it off of her or is that just something you guys don't do that's probably one of the the things that helped me through 25 years of um what i did is uh you know i could come home and and talk with her about it and sort of debrief you know and the same she would have a stressful day with some of the things she did with her job and she knew that we could come home and talk about it and i think it's important that in a relationship with someone, you try and build enough rapport. I mean, I, I think it's admirable when someone says, you know, oh, I don't want to bring this up to my spouse because they don't want to be hard for them. It'll scare them. It's like, eh, you're, you're depriving your spouse of the ability to contribute to your relationship. And so it's important to, uh, you know, you, you start out slow, but, you know, you should be able to, to discuss these things. The other is you look as, as Mr. Rogers always talked about look for the helpers you find people like cleveland in so you can talk about stuff and we can laugh and and so forth and and you know you find the right people to debrief with because you want to stay away from the echo chamber of sadness and hatred and the toxic personalities because you get caught up in that and you can't get out of it you have to look for people that nourish you rather than drag you down and make you miserable Hmm. well said that is really well said. Um, Matt, um, how would someone get in touch with you, your group? I mean, you're let's say you're just an individual officer. You went through something and you didn't know 
that this even existed? How would they get in touch with you? The the uh, organization where the Northeast Indiana Critical Incident Stress Management Team, and I'm going to give you a phone number, and this is how you get the team activated. If uh, for some reason you're either in a position of authority or you've been given authority to get you know something something like this going because there's always issues of uh, overtime or organization whatever you know and and but anyway that if you would want to reach us it's area code two six zero four two zero eight seven two 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 six zero four two zero eight seven two two and that goes to the Three Rivers Ambulance Authority Communications. And you just tell them that you're trying to get in touch with a member of the critical incident stress management team on call. And could you please have them call me at this and then give your phone number or whatever. And, and uh, we work hard to try and respond within the hour. Sometimes people who are on call might be working or they could be third shift employees and you're calling uh, you know, through your normal daytime hours, and they might be sleeping. But uh, we've got a primary on call and a secondary on call, and, and we try and get back as soon as we can. And uh, then from there, we will try and get a time and date. We like to do it a day or two after the incident, three days, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in there. And uh, we have to reach out to our mental health person first to see who's available. And once we sign someone available for you know, a day somewhere in those first couple of days, then they'll put the page out to the peers on the team to see who's available for that day to meet with your organization to do this debriefing. We meet and we've met in fire stations. We met in uh, government buildings. You know, we just like places where there's privacy and confidentiality because that's our big key. It's all confidential. None of this goes outside of the circle in the room. Uh, Otherwise, there is no protection for it's like why would i say this because you're just going to turn around and put it on facebook and so that's our kind of promise that it's all confidential now to make sure we understand you guys only cover the northeast corner of indiana right yeah we we serve i'll I'll read it off to you it's adams county allen county dekalb huntington lagrange noble steuben wells and whitley and we have at times extended out we've gone over to uh, kokomo before they had a an ambulance that uh, was making an emergency run and they were going through a light and a car struck them and i think they didn't have a team available so we put a group together so we're you know from time to time we'll you know it's for the better good if you will Mm -hmm. but primarily this is our our service area so i mean we get listeners from all over and i'm sure there's a way for them to do the same thing in their area if it's needed would they start mm-hmm. with that, their ambulance authority, or who would they start with, you think? If they wanted to try and get something started, the first thing I would do is uh, use your whatever search engine is your preferred search engine, whatever state you live in. You know, do Indiana Critical Incident Stress Management Teams. And Indiana actually has a statewide network, and there's a number of teams kind of spread out uh, throughout the state. In fact, right now we're coordinating, because of this pandemic, all of these teams are working together and we've got two-hour blocks where from one to three and six to eight, I think it is, we have people from one of these teams set up to do a WebEx mm-hmm. kind of webinar that you can ring in if you're having some kind of stress related to the pandemic. 
one of the team members is there to do a one-on-one debriefing that's just between you and that trained team member to talk about what you're experiencing. But going back, you know, if you're from the state of Georgia, wherever, just Google that. You can also look at the International Critical Incident Stress Management Association. That's the kind of governing body that they can also, I think on their website, I think they've got a uh, uh, find a local team sort of set up. I don't know how current that is, though. Gotcha. That's, that's really good information. So the days of you trying to deal with something uh, tragic on your own and not having an outlet are kind of like gone, right? Yes. It, it's definitely <laughs> moving in that direction. You know, I, I kind of joke about this uh, during some of these debriefings or when I'm talking with uh, your audience, when I say, you know, back in the day for you and me, it, it was kind of, you know, smoke a filterless camel and walk it off and then right. get back in the car. Right. <laughs> and, you know, because that's just how it is. And again, I go back to sometimes when we're in our circle getting ready to, to debrief, someone's sitting there again saying, man, I've got crazy thoughts in my head and I don't know what to do. I think I'm, I think I'm losing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to tell them, just walk it off, that's not really acceptable. To spin it a little bit without going into what could be a future podcast is those people that don't deal with this feelings, whatever, you know, maybe that's where you're seeing some of the aggression and the mistreatment and so forth, because, you know, if you don't care, I don't care. Uh, So it's an important thing to do these debriefings. And and Mm -hmm. as I have to be careful how I say this, but as the younger officers who see the value in this get promoted and move up through the ranks, and sometimes they have to work kind of peripherally to make sure everybody's okay until they can get up into upper command or administrative positions to start getting this to be more the norm. And it's certainly becoming more the rule than the exception. But, you know, we just have to keep working with the younger officers to encourage this mm-hmm. upward movement to where they, they're they making policy. And this is just a normal thing that we do to debrief people now. And it's, it's definitely needed. I mean, I can look back at situations that I was involved in and it took a long time to get over that, to understand that, and let some of it go. And you're absolutely right. It did slowly creep out in maybe another arrest several months later, The you know being a little more angry than I should have been. Back then, I was told, hey, you're a cop. We, we just yeah. don't do this stuff. You just deal with it. Yeah. You just deal with it. Just <laughs> yeah. be a man. Just deal with it. Yeah. And then they want to tell you one of their stories. Well, one day, uh, that didn't help. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really help any. Yeah. And, and again, not to – I don't want to disparage the employee assistance program at all because it's an important feature. However, if I'm having a problem and I don't know how to deal with it and I can talk to Cleveland – or I can talk to Matt because I know that A, I've got confidentiality, and B, they really know what I just experienced because they've experienced it as well right. versus someone that's in the EAP program who is more than qualified to be a counselor to you, but they haven't they haven't walked in the same mud and blood and, and yeah. violence and and all that that we have gone through. And so it's like you don't really understand, whereas you and I do. I know there's probably someone out there, several people going, boy, that sounds like a really neat uh, calling. 
Um, do you guys get paid for this? Nope, it's all volunteer. I think that's an important thing because uh, two levels. You're getting people in there that really want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always watchful about we don't want people who are doing it so that they can go to dinner with their friends and impress them with what they heard or saw, you know, during this debriefing. Oh, man, these people. And so you know that they're there for the real intent. And, you know, there will come a time in your career, and and I talk about this at times when we're debriefing, that this is mentoring and leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you and I are talking about how when we were new guys, and there was no one there to really show us the way. And so after we got smacked around a little bit, you know, we started showing leadership and mentoring, trying to help other people through it. So two, become four, become eight, become 16, Mm -hmm. improve things. And so that's the people you want to draw to the program that want to give back and uh, help those who couldn't get it otherwise necessarily. Hmm. Right. Exactly. Well said. Hey, um, here's a, let's fix something. When we first start talking to make sure people understand, and I said, hey, can you explain what you're doing now, uh, what opportunity you had? You had another opportunity. You're working a real job doing something else. What, what is that? <laughs> and that'll, that'll explain that little gap we had at the very beginning. What, what are you doing now, Matt? Okay. I, I'm not deflecting, and I will cover it. Oh, oh I, man. You're going to do this to no, me twice. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I'm, this, is, this is important, okay? Okay. And, and then, we'll, then we will go back to I promise you, while I, I will address the question you asked me. All righty. Um, going back to confidentiality with these debriefings, um, we're somewhat protected uh, because of the mental health people. There's some protection, kind of like the lawyer, uh, right. attorney, client. When we do these debriefings, there's no note-taking. We don't do a report. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all just talking. And the only report that's done is we will leave a form with whoever requested our help. It's an evaluation. You know, how did we do? How could we improve? Was this helpful? Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of things. And so it's it's just a a review. But, and I would encourage this for any listeners that are thinking about something of this nature and they're outside the state of Indiana. The state of Indiana has a criminal code, and I'll give it to you here. Uh, it's 36-8-2.5-2. And it specifically addresses critical incident stress management teams and debriefing, and you're legally protected at a state level from being forced or compelled to make statements against the interest of say someone who debriefed because there's a concern that they're unfit for the job so they're Mm. going to try and use our team to prove that they're unfit for a job and so if you look that up uh if you're from indiana or even if you're from uh, another state you can look it up and it give you something that you might try and get through your legislature through your fop Mm. or your pba or you know something of that nature Okay. Now, I will qualify it with that doesn't protect us federally in some instances, and, and we've never had a problem. And I only learned that from this uh, podcast I talked about earlier for the therapeutic and legal considerations for peer support that I was listening to. They were, Some lawyers were talking about it, and it's not to scare people away. And again, there's really not a problem with it, but 
it's nice to have protections in place so that you right. know that when you're talking to us, it's not going to come around in some way and affect you professionally. That was needed to be said instead of me being silly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, getting back to silliness now. All right. Um, as as I was um, kind of toward the, the winding down my career with the Fort Wayne Police Department and I was in the detective bureau, I was working in property crimes and street crimes specifically and I had a theft case come to me where a guy in town was going into convenience stores and gas stations and he was reaching around the counter and he was grabbing uh, lottery tickets and he would just distract the clerk and then he would strip off a bunch of like $30 tickets mm -hmm. and then he'd run out the door with them before the clerk would notice that they had been stolen. And then he would scratch those tickets off and any winning tickets, he would go to another retailer before they'd been reported stolen and mm -hmm. he would redeem them. That, re that retailer would not know they were stolen and they would just, through good faith, pay the prize out. And he was just tearing up Fort Wayne and the case got assigned to me. So I started working with the Hoosier Lottery and we were able to identify the person. We charged him with several felonies and I liked working with the Hoosier Lottery security people because they were so responsive. You know, I, as a detective, it's like you're trying to pull your case together and, and uh, the investigator is like, hey, I'll help get video for you and anything I can do to lessen your load so you can right. focus on that, I'll support you. Right. And when I would need information, uh, I would contact our headquarters down in Indianapolis and I'd be on the phone sitting in front of my computer and, it, you know, there'd be attachments on my email because they wanted to support law enforcement, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, man, this is a great group to work with. And I encourage your listeners to think about this. You want to be that person. You want to be that person that when you find someone that's willing to work hard for you, you go out of your way to help them. And you'll think to the future, it's like, hey, you know, who's your lottery? If you ever have something going on in Fort Wayne, not necessarily related to this, I know people and I can save you the phone tree hassle. I might be able to get you connected up. And, uh, you know, be that person. And you want to be that person that when there's something bad going on, a situation, you show up at the scene, everyone turns around and sees you and they're like, all right, Cleveland's here, Matt's here, whoever they're here, I've got confidence. You want to be that person when, uh, and you want to work hard at that to be that person that instills confidence. So anyway, I stayed in touch with the lottery and I got a call one day from the uh, director of security and he, the, uh, investigator that had Northeast Indiana was getting ready to retire. And he said, I can't promise anything, but we got an opening. He's retiring. If you would like to uh, come down for an interview, send us your resume and so forth and so on. So at that point, it was like, and everyone needs to think about this. You should always have options in your life and in your career. It doesn't mean you're going to take them. But you always have to be looking at options, not working angles to cheat the system, but working options so that, you know, you're, you're moving forward. And so I went down the interview and I, I budgeted 15, 30 minutes that the interview would probably last. It was down in Indianapolis. So like an hour and a half later, I leave and I had gone down just like an auction. It's like, you know, if you really want something, you're going to pay the seller's price. If you can walk away, you know, you're going to get your price. So I tried away going, man, I want this job. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. my phone rings and it's personnel department giving me a conditional offer of employment. And uh, huh. so I accepted. You know, there's still a process. You know, they had to do a background check and all that yeah, and yeah, uh, so yeah. forth. And so they hired me as an investigator for the Hoosier Lottery. And I've got all of Northeast Indiana, which is 
fantastic. You know how you and I were talking earlier before we actually got going here that, you know, sometimes things fall together in a good way. So if you look at what my critical incident team covers, Mm -hmm. that's basically my lottery territory. And so I know a lot of these people anyway, or get to know them. And so uh, I know them professionally because I'm working with officers and detectives when people are stealing from retailers and lottery product is involved. Right. And, but so I'm a familiar face when I walk into these debriefings, which is really helpful. And I can call ahead and go, Hey man, we're, we're doing this. I'm going to be there, uh, you know, as an experienced officer. So let your people know that there's going to be people with experience there. And I think that helps have a better turnout because they understand that there'll be police, fire medics and dispatchers there to listen to what they've experienced. Was this the guy who uh, distracted the uh, teller with a sock puppet? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Okay. I remember there was a sock puppet guy. He he was pretty good. He'd distract you (laughs) and get those lottery tickets. That's not the Uh, same guy. Okay. We'll move on. Yeah, now, no, I got, it, it was not the same guy. Okay. Hey, I got one other question here for you before we wind this thing up. Are you still taking pictures? You're doing your photography thing? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that is important for those out there in, that are in the beginning or the middle of their career is you, you've got to have something that's your release, relief, your break from the rigors of whatever your job is. And when you look at law enforcement, we're a very regimented military uh, stay in line. If you step out of line, you're not a team player. Mm -hmm. And we discourage individualism and we discourage free thinking and artistic or whatever. And so for my wife and I, photography was an artistic release, but we also enjoy uh, hiking and being outside. And so it was a nice way to, you know, get out and let these things go. I, I make jokes. There's a place not too far from my house that uh, we like to hike and get out. And and uh, over the years of when I was doing the other job, you know, if I had a day, I'd go out there and we'd hike around and, and she and I debrief or I would debrief myself. But I would sort of envision, and this is how things helped release, I would actually envision these things dropping off on the trail that were bothering me. And I'd kind of make a joke about, man, if the DNR ever came out here, they'd cite me for littering for all the years. <laughs> I come out here right. and dropped all this stress or this frustration, this anger, but I was getting rid of it in a healthy way huh. by walking and debriefing rather than sitting in an echo chamber of drunk, angry people, <laughs> you know, talking about how awful their job is and reinforcing the misery. As I remember, uh, you took a lot of pictures for me uh, during my coaching career uh, that was a blast. And I, that was so fun. Oh, those action shots were just crystal clear, perfect, uh, unbelievable. And the parents, they love them, and the kids love them too. But I always knew that about you. You had that other thing in your life other than uh, just strapping in a uniform, going to work, going home kind of guy. Matt, we could have we could have gone into three or four different podcasts with you with everything that you've done. But, uh, again, I want you to go ahead and mention uh, what you do for officers. Okay, not the lottery. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and give out that phone number one more time for our listeners. It's the, uh, particularly, this is the Northeast Indiana Critical Incident Stress Management Team. We are, again, available to Northeast Indiana. And if you 
need or desire our help, uh, and you can either run it up through your chain of command. You know, you have to choose wisely because some will still be, you know, we don't need that. You know, we're this. And a way to work around that is if your agency won't request it, if there's another agency involved, a volunteer fire department, Mm -hmm. they can make the request, and then you can still show up, if you will, even though your agency doesn't necessarily want to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Anyway, area code 260-420-8722. Matt, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We always have a good time laughing and yucking it up. And like you said, yes, relieving stress and uh, moving forward in our lives and constantly looking for better things to do and more people to help along the way. And and I think the one thing that I always liked about you, you love connecting people together. If you knew there was this, this person here and somebody over here and they could help each other, you were that connection all the time and never look for anything out of it. You just did it because you knew it was the right thing to do. That was always the right lady. thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. and then yep. here, yeah, we always that, read the it's same. It's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's really that simple. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, when you've been through something and you know that, you know, Cleveland has been through something, there's nothing wrong with going, dude, you okay? And, and just checking. And after you've been through something, a couple days later, yeah. You okay? Yeah, that's you know. it. You're always that guy. Matt, well, that's, uh, that's great stuff. I uh, love the fact that you're doing helping officers, helping uh, emergency responders, helping people with their problems. Love that. And the Hoosier Lottery, like I said, I, I can never win. I should just end up getting a, a sock puppet myself, okay? I, I'm going to be the new sock puppet guy. <laughs> you know, uh, I've been thinking about becoming a, an Internet scammer, so you know, we can help each other out, I guess. <laughs> Oh, but don't even get started with that. Yeah, oh man, Matt, I appreciate your uh, time. You're about to if, say something if, if else. I Come may. on, yeah. If I may, for your listeners out there, thanks for listening. Look out for each other. It's important that uh, you know you go home at the end of the shift, but look out for each other. Yeah, you know, make sure each other's okay. It's that simple. Yeah, it's that simple. Matt, thanks again, and folks, thank you for tuning in to Police Pod Talk, and we will catch you next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.